passwords are a complete nightmare, especially for users. You've done away with all of that. And, and what you'll do is you'll generate a public-private key pair for interaction with that particular relying party. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. My guest today is John Craddock, Principal of XT for Extremely Technical Seminars. John's a consultant and IT architect that's made a career of explaining emerging identity technologies, especially when they're related to Microsoft. His tech ed and Ignite presentations invariably fill up the largest keynote halls as he explains the intricacies of OAuth 2, OpenID Connect, and the latest Azure AD capabilities. He's an MVP of many years, and I first met him at the Redmond MVP summits we'd go to annually. John is keynoting about the future of identity at the Hybrid Identity Protection, HIP, Europe Conference, which is going on virtually from June 30th to July 1st. Go to hipconf.com to register and attend for free. Welcome, John. Thanks for bringing me along. Always good fun. Not long after Active Directory first came out, there was basically one technical book about its structure, for IT pros at least. It was a reasonably thin paperback with a cartoon of a log truck and a beaver on the cover. That was your book, Active Directory Forestry, A Geek's Guide. And it's probably a collector's item now. I'm, I'm looking at my copy as we speak. It seems to have had an interesting history. People have found it, well, have lost it and then found it again uh, on their kid's bookshelf thinking it was a coloring book. <laughs> uh, but they were unpleasantly surprised. Yes, yes, I think so. And, and uh, it's still actually um, now and again sells, which is interesting. I mean, <laughs> none, none of the um, the content is sort of out of date, as it were. There's, there's an awful lot more content that could go into it, and there are better tools than the ones we, we sort of highlighted in the book. But if you want a sort of understanding of objects and attributes in on-premise Active Directory, it was, uh, yeah, it's a good read. Yeah, I mean, the essential structure hasn't changed. So, and that's where identity has been. But let's, this is all about talking about where identity is going. If we look at the progression of identity over the years, in the beginning, there was, of course, the user and user ID and password. Every service you needed to access, and this was back in on-prem only days, Every service you needed access required its own set of credentials. But identity and security made huge steps forward when a common directory of credentials and resources, such as Active Directory, made authenticating and accessing data far simpler. Now, of course, today that has its own set of problems, but that's not what we're here to talk about. But after that, aided by the rise of cloud services, we began to see federated identity providers with the ability to provide authentication and organization, one, one organization can do that for another organization. For example, Microsoft's Azure Active Directory uh, provides single sign-on for a company like mine, Sempris, to access a third party like Salesforce. But this has got plenty of drawbacks and it's stuff that we're wrestling with all the time today. 
perhaps, John, as an introduction to decentralized identifiers and verifiable credentials, can you describe the problems that we experience every day that they're designed to solve? Yes, I, I think one, one of the things I could do is say on a, on a sort of fairly day-to-day basis, um, repetition, 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 and then loss. And this is as, as you go through um, your sort of life, following your life path. If you, if you think about what goes on, you, you'll start off. Um, I mean, I could start right back at sort of birth and, and, you know, how you initially get some identity. But let's start off at your school. Somebody will have to prove who you are to your school and you'll have an account provisioned with your school. And as you go through school and you do projects, you do exams, you'll get credits and those credits will be against your account. What can happen then is you leave that school and effectively you leave that siloed block of identity with the school and you move to the college. And guess what? You have to do it all again, prove who you are. And then what will happen is you'll leave the college and while you're at the college, you've got all sorts of accolades against your name, maybe, or black marks even against your name. So then you leave that and then you go to work and you've got these little silos of identity. And what would be really great is to have the ability to unsilo that. So you start off in life with an identity and you take that identity with you wherever you go. Because what, what's happened is we, we've actually, um, if, you, if you step back before digital identity, how did you prove who you were? You presented your passport, right? And this is pre-days electronic passports. And somebody took that passport and they opened it up and they looked and in there were claims about you. Who had made those claims? Well, an authoritative source, which would have been your government who issued the passport. And, and someone looks at this and how do they know it's about you? Well, they check your photo. And the next thing they do is they check to make sure that the envelope hasn't been tampered with. So your passport, maybe it's got a hologram in there. The early passports, no such things as holograms. You would have an official stamp which would imprint through your photograph and so on. And, and that's how we interacted. We, we didn't care really who you were. What we cared was what you were. For instance, I don't care particularly the name of a doctor. What I want to know is that person is a doctor and they're fully qualified. You know, if you've got an airline pilot, do you need to know the airline pilot's called Eric? Not really. What you want to know is the airline pilot has got the appropriate credentials to fly you safely from A to B. And and so it goes on. Another thing you can think of, really bringing it right into this age now, is you're standing next to someone at a concert. Do you need to know their name? It might be nice. You might get chatting to them. But what you probably want to know is that they're a vaccinated person. That's the sort of end goal is not finding out who you are, but finding out what you are. And the problem is with identity systems today is the first thing they ask you is what's your username and password? And and the reason that they do that is so that they can assign attributes to you. And those attributes could be assigned by an administrator or they could be assigned, uh, you could self-assert those. So you can say, I'm, you know, this is my email, I'm over 18, etc. Those attributes are, are held 
against your account. We've created an account for you. And when you return, right, we can say, oh, these are your attributes. But the problem is now that identity is siloed with that identity provider. And what we have to do is we go into the repetition, repetition. Right. Every time you enter one of those silos, you have to re-enter what's your cell phone number, what's your dry cleaner's middle name. Um, and and one of the things as you're describing this, John, that makes me, we're, we're also leaving a trail of identities behind that we may not ever remember. How many of us can remember what it, our credentials were to log on to our university, perhaps, if it was 10 years ago? Maybe they've deleted the credentials, maybe not. Elementary school, you know, your AOL account, all of those things, leaving all of these identities behind you. If you take an IDP such as Google, Facebook, or, or even actually um, Microsoft 365, you could have an identity on one of those platforms. And because they readily federate with other organizations, you could then be using your identity on that particular platform to actually access these other organizations. And if you leave, and I mean, in terms of if it's if Microsoft 365, you leave your school, your, your college, your work, whoever's using 365, you lose access to all of those other resources. And if you're using Google or uh, you know Facebook, uh, they might decide that you've broken their rules. And what they can do is they can terminate your account. And, you know, that could be really bad news because you could be a, a YouTuber with thousands of subscribers and making a lot of money. And suddenly, maybe because of some AI algorithm that has detected you're not you know, a suitable person anymore, the account's blocked. Not only have we got these silos, but we've effectively got censorship as well. What is the the concept behind a verifiable credential. Before we talk about a verifiable credential, let's just look at a, a decentralized identifier, how we break the silos, right? And the way that we break a silo is by basically not having our identity, as in the unique identifier for us, not having that created by an IDP. Because, you know, if IDP1 creates one and then we have to do it with IDP2, it'll be they will own that identity. What we can do is through the wonders of, of crypto mathematics, uh, we can create generate as a individual entity, uh, we can generate a public private key pair. Now, with that public private key pair, uh, what we can do is sign a message that we, when we're interacting with a relying party, so when we're interacting with an organization, uh, we can sign a message with our private key and send it to the relying party. The relying party receives this message, and what they can do is, using our public key, which could be sent with a message, they can check uh, the signature. And in checking the signature, they know two things, and they know just two things. Number one, if the signature is valid, the message hasn't been tampered with uh, after it was signed, right? Because if it had been tampered with, the signature check would fail. The other thing they know 100% is that the signer of the message owns the private key. So what we do is we generate this public-private key pair, and then 
we hold on to the private key. So that goes into secure storage and never leaves us at all. So what we've done is we've got a way of proving who we are to another entity. And when we come back again, we can use the same identity. That's number one is a good thing. Number two, what we can then do is we can take credentials which are issued via a trusted authority and cryptographically bind those to our identity which we created. So we can have an issuer. Let, let's say the, we'll call it DID. Well, it is a decentralized identifier. We'll call it a DID. So I generated DID. Let's call it DID1. So I've generated DID1. I can now go to an issuer of verifiable credentials. And let's say it's our driving license authority. And I can do whatever proof I need to with them. I might have to turn up in person. You know, I might need a notarized copy of my passport. Somehow identity proof myself to this authority. And in that term, what they'll do is they'll take all my credentials, having validated me, obviously, and they will attach them to my did one. Right? They will then sign that message. So that's signed by the issuing authority. So I can now go to the relying party and say, look, this is me. When I come back, you'll know it's me because it's did one and that's unique to me. And here are a whole bunch of credentials which have been issued by an authority you can trust. What the uh, relying party can do is mathematically verify that everything's intact. And as long as they accept that government issuing authority or whoever has done the issuing, then you, you effectively have proved who you are and what you are to the relying party. Everybody has proved the veracity of their claims to everybody else, and it doesn't involve a user ID and password. Effectively, you, you don't need a user ID and password, no, to, to set it up. Passwords are a complete nightmare, especially for users. You've done away with all of that. And, and what you'll do is you'll generate a public-private key pair for interaction with that particular relying party. And what we can do is we can have uh, pseudo-anonymity, which means that we can generate for every relying party we actually talk to, we can have a different did. There are various ways that those claims can get attached to different dids, but we can do that. Uh, and in that way, uh, there's no way we can be tracked as such. Uh, obviously, there are so many different ways you can be tracked on the internet, but at least you can't be tracked by your decentralized identifier. So that's a did. Is this the sort of thing that where this credential store would reside on a mobile device or how would the user access it? You'll have a wallet of some kind and a user agent. And, and the wallet stores your private key and your VCs. And then the user agent will interact with a relying party, etc. That wallet of yours could be actually contained just on in an application on your phone. Also, you could have a personal identity hub because you know once you go down the, this route, why give away all your sort of um, you know your favorite music list, etc. Uh, it could be a verifiable credential. <laughs> 
or it could be stored in your personal hub. It would be a combination of a wallet on a phone and a personal hub. What are some other examples then of scenarios that today would just not be practical or not secure that using decentralized identifiers and verifiable credentials, what would that allow us to do that we can't do today? You can attach whatever you like with whatever level of security you like to uh, a username and password. And when I say username and password, hopefully we'd be using a, a password-less technology of some kind. What you're going to do is identity-proof yourself to every IDP. A sort of typical example is, is if you want to uh, you know, open a bank account, open a building society account, um, and maybe a couple of building society accounts, one where you have your mortgage, the other one where you have your savings and so on. Every time you do that, what you have to do is identity proof yourself to that organization. And, you know, as I said, it, it could be you're sending all sorts of information. If it's a bank, banks are controlled by, you know, the know your customer, the KYC legislation. And that's a really frustrating experience. So what the, the beauty of, of DIDs and VCs that are bound to it, what you do is you identify, you prove yourself once to an issuing authority. That obviously needs to be a trusted issuing authority. And having proved yourself once that issuing authority, you can use it all the time. So go to building society one, yeah, what do you need to know? Oh, here are my, here's my identity, proof of my address, proof of my age, proof of something else. And you just make a presentation of verifiable credentials. And then you go to the next organization and you do the same. You know, and you're just literally, what they can do is they can ask you for the sort of credentials they need. You can then choose them from your wallet. And then if you're happy, you can present those. The beauty of this is that we're not leaving any sort of siloed bits of us around. We can have one identity of which we can, you know, negotiate the world with the verifiable claims issuer is um, recognized by the relying party, uh, we will never have to prove who we are again, except, you know, using our VCs. To go back to your analogy of the driving license, the idea is today you can present physically your, or I suppose digitally to some extent, you, you can present physically your driving license multiple times without having to recreate the claims that are part of that driving license because its authority is widely recognized across a district or an organization or a country. With a driving license, what they do is they look at the picture. Oh, yes, that looks like you. And then they look to make sure it hasn't been tampered with. So and then they say, oh, yeah, OK, it has been issued. It's got the official hologram on there. Oh, it's great. The digital equivalent of that is where you have your did which has been bound um, uh, by the issuing authority to a set of claims. And that, that whole envelope is signed by the issuing authority. So it's, and of course, you know, it's all doing great crypto maths. It's extremely secure. This, this ties into revocation though as well, doesn't it? I mean, in as you say, if the officer checks your driver's license, they... If you get to that point, the officer will check to make sure that 
the license hasn't been revoked. But if you go to the local liquor store to show that you're over 21, they won't check revocation. But this technology, you have the ability, as the, the phrase that is used in here is sovereignty or you're the sovereign identity, you have the ability to revoke those as well, correct? You can uh, certainly revoke them and um, the relying party can actually check to make sure the credential hasn't been revoked. And of course, that will depend on the relying party. And as you say, you, if you go into the local liquor store and you have to prove you're over 21, probably nobody's going to bother. If, if your credential looks good, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll go for it. What they'll do is they'll, they'll throw up a, a QR code on a screen. You'll scan it with your mobile and that QR code will basically make, be asking you to make a presentation request. And that presentation request will be some form of identity which has your age. Now, what you can do, and, and this is this is really clever uh, mathematics, is use zero knowledge proof so that we can actually, we have our date of birth on something, maybe our driving license. And rather than disclosing our date of birth, we can just prove we are over in um, the UK, it would be over 18, but in, in the States, probably over 21. Um, and so that's, um, uh, we don't even have to, the other, or the relying party doesn't even have to know our age. Uh, what we can do is just have a, uh, what's called zero knowledge proof that we are over the required age. Right. And this is getting back to the, the heart of the matter, which is similar to when you were saying our obsession with who rather than what they don't need to know when you, you were born. They just need to know that you're over 21 in describing these technologies and where this is going is we are so accustomed to thinking in those ways. It's very much thinking outside the box to back to first principles, uh, which is what I'm sure is what making a lot of this discussion around this is uh, so, so interesting. So where we stand in these technologies, what does adoption take or what sort of steps should uh, people that are interested in learning more about it, what sort of steps should they take and to help uh, understand it and perhaps participate in, in creating this? Although there's lots of things that sort of have been decided and there are open standards that are being built, and it's very, very important that those open standards exist because what we want to make sure is this thing will work, you know, across the world and therefore it absolutely needs open standards. If you wanted to get involved in it today, I mean, there's a huge number of decisions to be made still. I would suggest you get some exposure to VCs. And a good way of doing that would be to look at the Azure AD, uh, Verifiable Credential Service, which is in um, currently in preview. So it's in public preview. So anyone can get their hands on it and try it. Um, what, what you will need is you will need an Azure subscription. Uh, and today you will need an Azure AD with a, uh, with a P1 license. That will be dropped at some point. You, you need that license at the moment. And then what you can do is there's a couple of example apps from Microsoft uh, where you can actually issue credentials, and um, which is as an issuer app, and there's a verifier app and then you can verify credentials. If you wanted to try it out, you, you really don't need to know anything about 
programming to just to run the apps you might you might want to get in and start changing things a little bit so when you start issuing your own verifiable credentials and what will happen is that the verifiable credentials will end up in the microsoft authenticator app um, and they will be represented by a card so you could have a card which is you know for, it could be a student card it could be alumni card it could be a uh, or you can make a vaccination card if you wanted to. I would strongly recommend have something where you can actually issue uh, credentials, you can verify them, and it will get you into thinking about them. Their credential service actually publishes uh, the DID, and it publishes it on the UN network. One of the ways of looking at it is the Microsoft documentation. I've so far written, I think it's three blogs on the subject, um, so if you want to have a, a look at uh, uh, my website, look at blogs. Uh, so it's, uh, as you said, XT Seminars. So it's www.xtseminars.co.uk. And you'll find the blogs on there. There are currently three. Uh, I've got five planned. I'm working on actually working on number four at the moment. One of the things you could do is you could, you know, join uh, some of the organizations and one I'd recommend is the Decentralized Identity Foundation and you can join it um, as a contributor. You can join it as, as, a, as an associate member if you want and you get some added benefits but it will cost you but you can join as a contributor at zero cost and then you can start commenting or maybe even joining one of the working groups so you can actually help shape the future of identity. So if, if this is something that you want to learn more about, you can dive into John's blogs to learn. And also, John has got a great blog to revisit the basic concepts that we've talked about today. The How to uh, kick the tires, as it were, with the Azure AD uh, issuer. And then, of course, John will be uh, revisiting this in his keynote coming up on July 1st for HIP Europe. So I, I know I'll be there because this is, typically I need to hear something more than once to really get a good sense of it. John, thank you very much for explaining this. I think that we spend so much time wrapped up in wrestling with what's going on today that it's super helpful to see what's coming down the road and help position ourselves to, to understand it and to work with it much better. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.